Hi, and welcome back to Industrial Theory. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, CEO of Stone Age, and I am so glad you are here today. I hope you're having a very safe and productive week. This month's guest is Sam Smolik, who spent his entire career since he graduated from college in our industry. He has worked uh, at Dow Chemical, Shell, Lionel Basil, and he's been in it for 50 years because he literally started right out of, out of college, and uh, he just recently retired. And we have a fascinating conversation on the facility owner perspective of industrial cleaning uh, and safety. And then he shares with us his new book, uh, why he wrote it, what it's about. His book is called The Daily Pursuit of Excellence. And it's all about helping the individual become excellent at what they do, to strive for excellence, to strive for perfection, to strive to learn and to really do that through people, through leadership, through culture, through systems. Sam is just awesome. I know you're going to love him as much as I do. So hang tight and I'll be right back with him. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I have Sam Smolik with me. Sam, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Well, thank you, Carrie. Glad to be here. All right. So you've had leadership roles at Dow Chemical, Shell, Lionel Basil, all the companies that are you know near and dear to us in industrial cleaning. What was it like spending 50 years uh, in as a facility owner? <laughs> well, that's a... Uh had many different feelings, you know, I, and, and I had many different positions. He started off as an individual contributor. And so uh, I remember when I first started, somebody like a site manager seemed like God to me, you know, it was way up there. And then, then corporate leadership, I didn't even know who they were. And, um, you know, as you, as you grow in an organization, you take on more responsibility and you learn more about the company. And, and at some point in time, you're part of the, the leadership team for the company. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a really great question to think about where you start and where you ended up, and uh, how many things you learn along the way. It's pretty incredible. Is there a role that you had that you loved at one of the companies when you're like, yes, like this is I'm at my very best in this role? Well, I was at my best in all the roles, of course. <laughs> well, come but, on. <laughs> well, I like I like being a plant manager. You know, yeah. plant manager where you're responsible for producing a product. And you've got a team of people and you work with contractors and, and, um, you know, other resources. And, and, uh, I mean, you have ultimate accountability. It's like a, a coach of a football team or, or whatever that the, the buck stops with you. And so if you can be organized and motivate the people around you, uh, it, it can go pretty well, but also <laughs> you can feel as low as a snake sometimes in those, those jobs because things are going well. And then, then you have a problem. And you've got to deal with it and you've got to pick people up, uh, get them motivated again and, and move forward. So, but I really enjoyed being a, 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 a plant manager. Yeah, I can imagine. It's like a, a, a mini CEO uh, of, of a facility and, and having really responsibility for, for how efficiently it's running and how safely it's running. How did you really approach safety, right? That's such an important aspect of our industry. What was your viewpoint on it and how has it evolved um, throughout your career? Well, I think I was very fortunate being in the chemical and, and uh, gas and oil and oil and gas industry because safety's always been a, a high priority. I remember when I first came to work, um, people would talk about, uh, you better not get hurt because, you know, we're going to have an investigation and 
there was a guy named Dr. Wright, and everybody feared Dr. Wright. And I, I luckily never met him. Uh, but, you know, even back, way back when I started, safety was a priority. And, um, and so it, it just gets ingrained in you when you're in the industry. And, and then, um, like I say, as you become a, a manufacturing person, especially a plant manager, your number one priority is to protect your people. You know, nothing is more important than the, than the safety of your people and the public. And, and so it just, it just came natural all the time. And the more hazardous um, materials that we dealt with, it became even more acute and important uh, to be safe and to make sure you did things the right way. So um, it's, it's, it's in my blood. <laughs> yeah. And how did you look at it from a, from a managing contractor's perspective, right? Uh, con- you've got contractors coming in to do all kinds of, of various maintenance activities, uh, inspection activities. How did you try to instill your vision of safety, your, your, your culture of safety within contractor companies um, throughout your career? Well, um, you know, you mentioned the word culture, um, and maybe you're going to get to this, but I wrote a book recently entitled The Daily Pursuit of Excellence, and I highlighted all the learnings that I had throughout my career, and I I summarized all the key points under four headers, leadership, people, culture, and systems. And so when you talk about culture and culture of contractors, uh, the, the most important thing you do is, is set the set clear expectations from the very beginning. And so we tried to minimize the number of companies that we dealt with, contractor companies, and then establish a strong partnership with each contractor company so that we could grow together. And the key was to, you know, we expect good performance from our contractor company, but a contractor company should expect a safe place to work for their people. So it's not one subservient to another, but you're working together. And I always made sure that, that the people I was dealing with, no matter which contractor company it was, that they had the right attitude and they have the right culture. And together, you know, we, we would try to uh, strive for perfection. Nobody's perfect and people make mistakes, but you know, if someone does make a mistake and have a problem, you know, I always wanted to make sure that they, uh, addressed it head on and we communicated about what we were doing to uh, prevent it from happening again. Before we jump into your book, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your viewpoint on industrial cleaning since that's of course near and dear to my part and what this podcast is all about. I think that that industrial cleaning is such an important aspect of the supply chain, right? But not everybody sees it that way, right? A lot of a lot of facilities owners are just, we'll get in here, clean it as efficiently can and let us get back to work. But everything that Every single piece of asset that produces um, whatever material you're manufacturing has to be either cleaned for efficiency or inspected for material integrity. And so I see us as this really integral part of the supply chain, but it's not viewed that way um, by everybody. How did you view it and how do you think the industrial cleaning industry can continue to evolve to I don't know, be seen more as an important trade within a facility. Well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You have to clean the equipment. Um, uh, heat exchangers get fouled over time. Uh, uh, distillation towers do. And, and uh, that's why plants have to take turnarounds, uh, take the equipment apart and clean it. And, 
you know, hydroblasting and other types of cleaning are, are extremely important and they can be hazardous work, yeah. you know, cause a lot of hands-on and, uh, work that people are, are really close to what they're doing, but companies have proven that they can do the job safely. We always had a concept of goal zero and we made sure that everybody who came in understood that concept. And, and the concept was basically that each person can work injury free, you know, every day. And if they take their time, follow the rules, you know, comply with the requirements and do things the right way. So, um, you know, and the industry has evolved. I remember, uh, when I began working, all the hydroblasting was done by hand and now there's a lot of automation. So technology has come a long ways and, and, uh, anything time you can do that, you reduce the uh, risk, uh, to the employee. And, uh, that's very important. So yeah, you can't do without it. I'm on the board of directors of Evergreen. And, um, you know, I remember during, the, uh, the COVID downturn, they were talking about, um, you know, how's this going to impact our business? And I said, well, as long as the plants are running, they're going to need this service because it's very important. So, you know, industrial cleaning is a integral part of, of the, the chemical processing industry. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's interesting how technology is changing where the narrative was primarily around safety. And now equipment is get you know, people are getting so much more efficient with, with it. And now that there's data producing equipment, like what, what we make with the Sentinel and other people make, um, it's going to, it's really starting to, I think, change the way that, that facility owners are looking at partnering with industrial cleaning contractors who have the ability to, you know, how can, how can we focus this on outcomes-based cleaning? If I can get my plant up faster, or if I can know to a T that the industrial cleaning portion is going to be done so that the next critical path thing can happen, right? I think there's, there's definitely, in my opinion, been a shift in interest and engagement from the facility owner side of things to say, hey, this technology is more than just safety. That's where it should always start and everything should always be done as safely as possible. But there's some interesting things that could happen um, from an operations side and a production side uh, with these new methods of, of cleaning, not new methods of cleaning, but new equipment um, that the new technologies that are in here doing my cleaning activities. How do you see that? Well, Carrie, I can tell you know what you're talking about. I mean, <laughs> every, right. every, your questions so far have been right on and, and, uh, and, and very good. Um, I always say lead, lead with safety, but the reality is uh, it takes the same things to be safe, to have quality, to be, have reliability, to, to, uh, have efficiency, like you're talking about. And again, it goes back to the four things I mentioned, right? You've got to start with very good people. You've got to have some good systems, equipment to work with. You've got to have that right culture and you have to have le good leadership. So you're right. Um, to, to, to get work in this industry, you've got to be safe, but if you're safe and people do things the right way without making mistakes, they're probably going to be more efficient and they're going to do better work mm -hmm. and it's going to get plants online sooner. So you're right. It's the whole, whole job concept. And I guess if I was in your situation or other suppliers, that's the way I would approach it uh, with the owner. Definitely. All right. Well, let's talk about your book. Cause that's why we're here. Uh, I had to pick your brain though with 50 years in, in, uh, in our industry, 
uh, and your direct uh, experience, of course, managing industrial cleaning contractors. Thank you for letting me uh, to pick your brain there and to go through your experience. I appreciate that. Uh, but let's talk about your book. So uh, this is your second book, right, uh, that you just came out with, The Daily Pursuit of Excellence. So can you tell us about what inspired you to write your first one and how this has evolved to where you are now with your latest book? Right. Well, let me give you a little bit of background on my my career. I, I uh, And we say 50 years. I graduated from high school in 1971 and uh, had summer jobs in the industry. So the way I look at it, since 1971, I've been working in the industry. And, um, and so when I went to work full-time, I started in research and development, doing process technology development, and then quickly moved into manufacturing where I ran various production units. And when you do that, you have line responsibility. So you have people, you have technology, you have customers, you've got budgets, capital projects. There's a whole lot of things that you do. Those are, those are real challenging jobs. And and in 2000, so 22 years ago, Dow came to me and and said, we want you to be the global vice president for environment, health and safety and sustainable development. And my first reaction was, well, who did I make mad? You know, I I don't (laughs) want to do that functional job. I like line management. And anyway, they talked, they convinced me why I was the right guy for the job. And, and, uh, and I would eventually come back into manufacturing. But uh, my career took a turn. I, I did that job at Dow for four years globally. And then I did it at Shell for the, for the downstream business globally. And then Lion Del Bazell, uh, the company went bankrupt in early 2009. And I joined the team to bring it back out of, of bankruptcy. So my, my last half of my career was, was influencing others. You know, when you, when you don't have line responsibility, and your job is very simply to go improve the performance at 400 sites around the world, you, you quickly find out it's all about behavior management. You're influencing behavior. And, um, and so I learned a lot through those years, uh, met with, or worked with a lot of very smart people, uh, you know, read the books, um, you know, went to training classes, interacted with my counterparts at other companies. So I was very fortunate to, to have a lot of, get a lot of experience. And I believe that, that over time we evolved a best in class approach to safety and operations and, you know, overall operational excellence. So when I retired, I retired in 2017. So it's been, uh, six years. I, uh, <clears throat> I did a little bit of consulting. I still do just a little bit of consulting. Uh, but I would see people talk about problems and I would think, well, we solve that, you know, and a lot of times you hear people say, we need to get back to the basics. And I said, man, you should never have to say that if you, if you do these certain things. So finally, I'd, I'd always toyed with writing a book, but I was always too busy. Um, you know, I do a lot of, a lot of different activities. And when COVID hit and, and travel just stopped, everything came to a halt. Suddenly I'm looking around and I said, you know what, if you're going to write a book, you better do it now. There's never a better time. And so I just wanted to, to document the best practices that, that we learned through the years. I mean, I didn't develop it. We all did. And, and put it in a way that's simple and understandable so that it can help companies. It can help individuals. 
to succeed and, you know, pass it on because it's really sad when I see a, a, um, an industry incident, um, it's just needless and it sh- people shouldn't get hurt. And, but you know, the principles apply to quality up, uh, you can think about restaurants, you, you've, you've been to restaurants that are good, but you've been to some that are great, right? Yeah. And you brag about them to other people. And the same thing with hotels and service providers. And, you know, so my philosophy was always, we want to be great. We want to be best in class. And, uh, and so that's why I wrote, wrote the book. I wrote the first one talking about the concept of goal zero, which was what we used to, to help establish the right culture a culture of zero defects, zero incidents, zero non-compliance with rules. And, uh, you know, most people will say, well, that's not possible, but it is possible. If you think of each person individually, you know, working safely, following the rules every day. And if everybody does that, your whole company has an opportunity to do well. So that first book, the power of goal zero was, was about improving a company's operation. But then as I started promoting it and, and presenting to groups and people would use it, uh, you know, a lot of companies bought it for their employees and, and to read and to train and some universities picked it up. I thought, you know, I didn't write it towards the individual. So the second book, I wrote it with you, the reader, as the audience and the person who the book is written for. So, you know, you read the book. The first chapter is about ethics and integrity and do what you say you're going to do and have courage and, you know, things that, and none of this is rocket science, but I hope it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the second book and it's called the, um, the daily pursuit of excellence is how you can help improve your chances of advancement in your company, but also how you can influence other people around you by creating the right management system, uh, the right behaviors and the right culture in an organization. And do you think that any, no matter where you are in this overall ecosystem of, of ours, whether you're on the supplier side, the contractor side, the asset owner side, the training side, can anybody walk away with, um, with this is how I can do this? Uh, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's really written for everybody. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so when it comes back to contractors, I mean, we dealt with hundreds of contractor companies and, but I wanted a concept of a, a culture and expectations that were so clear that it didn't matter if it's an employee or a contractor working on our site. And so one of the, one of the principles I talk about in the book is simplicity. You know, you have to have a simple message it has to be very clear so that people can understand it. And and, you know, a contractor company, the same thing, right? You have to have good people. <laughs> it starts with people. You have to be able to recruit people. And most people want to work for a winner. You know, so if you establish yourself as the best company in the industry, that reputation gets out there and it helps retention of the people you've got. It also helps your recruiting. And so people taking care of them is so important. Doesn't matter if it's an owner or a contractor. And then you have to have some, some procedures and some simple processes, you know, don't go overboard and create bureaucracy, but, you know, start to standardize on the most important things. And then that way you start to build on it. And, you know, my experience of 
I mean, we had plants in China and Thailand and Europe and South America, Africa, everywhere. And it's amazing. People from all walks of life are smart and they come up with good ideas. And so we created a system we called learning from experience so that we would, could capture best practices, implement that into our management system, and then roll that back out and say, okay, here's the best practices. Let's all work. Let's all do it this way. And that way you continually get better. And if you don't have that, then what you've got is everybody doing things their own way. And you're only as good as the people that are in place. And, you know, in our industry, things can go wrong pretty fast. That, that's why you have to, to make sure that the most important things are done the right way every time. Nope. I agree with you completely. So talk a little bit about the four areas of the book. Like how did you decide that these were the four areas and what, you know, what is the main takeaway from each one that people are like, oh yes, okay, I get it. This is actionable. Right. Well, we used to, when I was working, we would say it's people, processes, and assets. Okay. And because assets, because we had so many, the plants and equipment and And so many times you have a problem because you just don't maintain the assets, right? You don't maintain your equipment properly. Uh, Then I started writing the book and, um, and it's funny when you write a book, then you start thinking about words and terminology a little bit differently. And so the word process can be interpreted in so many different ways. And so I changed and and I call it leadership, people, uh, systems and culture. And, and I, I guess I never thought about it when I was working, how important culture was. I didn't realize everything we did was creating the right culture, but we never said it. You know, back then when people would talk about culture, uh, they thought of that as well. You take care of your people. It's a good place to work, you know, the softer things. Mm-hmm. And that is a part of your culture. But what, what I worked on constantly was a culture of performance that, that people do and execute what they say they're going to do. And, um, you know, because I saw so many times where we had problems and it, it was like, you know, if they were just following the procedure, you know, or if they were just taking their time, you know, it, it's, it's a culture. And so we worked real hard on that. So those four areas are all interrelated. And, and I, and I spent a lot of time combining the, the little tips and techniques we did to get people's attention and get clear expectation. <clears throat> I tried to group it so that it was understandable. And, uh, you know, a company, a lot of companies have done, have taken my book and, and they explain it to their people and say, look, we're going to focus in these four areas and, and you can take your activities that you're doing in your company today and grouping you and you're, you're doing things, whether you know it or not under each of those four categories. And you can't, you know, Peter Drucker, uh, coined the phrase culture, eat strategy for breakfast. Okay. Now I remember when it first came out, I'd listen to that and say, well, I'm not so sure if I believe that, <laughs> but I totally believe it now because what he meant, and I never heard him explain it like this, but here's how I explain it is that your strategy is part of your system, right? So your strategy is your plan. It's your, uh, it's what you plan to do and it's your expectations. Okay. 
if you don't have a culture of compliance, you, you can have a strategy and a plan and say, we expect people to work safe. We expect people to take care of the customer. But if they're out there being lazy and nonchalant about it and making a lot of mistakes, you don't have a chance. That's why he said culture is so much more important than, than the strategy in your system. And I actually believe they, they just go hand in hand. But if you have a good system of expectation and a good culture, then you can focus all your time on your people because people at the end of the day do the work and they deliver the product and service. And of course, leadership sets the tone and, and, um, and helps others. But one of the important concepts is anybody can be a leader. You can be a leader at all levels. And I tell a story in the book about um, this one unit I went to, and most of them I went to were had a lot of problems and I had to, uh, motivate people, get them on board and, and really change things. But this one unit I went to and these people were, they were great. I mean, they had technicians on the front line that were leaders and they, they led the way they, they held each other accountable, you know? So I saw leadership at the front line, the way you want it to be. You want every person to act like a leader. I love that you just had this whole conversation. I'm such a believer in culture. Um, and I believe that when you have a good strategy and a good culture, you eat your competitors for breakfast. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. No doubt. Right? You know what? You work, you work just as hard to be good or mediocre as you do to be best in class. I totally know? agree with you. And you I'm know what? I, yeah. yeah. Yep. I'm with you. And what I have found... Um, so I'm a big people person, big, a big culture person. My employees come first, right? Because I know that when my employees come first, that they're going to take care of our customers. And so I look through the lens of how is this going to affect my employees? How is it going to affect my culture? And people kind of poo-pooed that for a long time because it's all about financial performance. You know, how are you meeting your KPIs? How are you meeting your, your success measures? How are you in compliance? And and I always say, like, you know, if you have a great culture and you're bringing people along, then then that stuff is easy. Uh, and now there's been this big flip uh, around, oh, gosh, people don't want to work for us anymore. Maybe it's because we have a crappy culture. And so um, I feel vindicated, validated. Um, but what I do know about having a good strategy and a strategy that the team can execute on, a good strategy that everybody understands so they can execute, it just improves the culture. Um, my employees understand what winning looks like. They understand how they fit into the strategy, how their jobs you know, affect the performance. And of course, being employee-owned, they get to benefit in the success of the company. And I've just seen this as, as we've evolved as, of how we've brought our employees along in the development and execution of our strategy, it's only made our culture so much stronger because everybody has a shared mission. They understand where we're going and they feel that they have purpose and meaning in their role rather than just here to get a paycheck. So that's why I like to say that strategy and culture together eats your competitors for breakfast because it really <laughs> is the winning I to, combination. I want to come back about 20 or 30 years and, and come to work for your company because it <clears throat> sounds like you've got the right idea. Now, you know, um, you have to worry about the financials. You have to oh, yeah. worry about the final score. I mean, if, if all you are as a, as a good culture organization. So, but you know, too many leaders just work, just think about the bottom line 
and then they expect it to happen and then they wonder why it doesn't. Yep. Right. So that's why what you're saying is so important. You've got to, got to do these things and the right things will happen. Yep. You know, there's a good book called the customers come second. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's one of my favorite books. It says, if you take care of the people, then they'll take care of the customer. Now, <clears throat> just let me say a word on, on when I say systems, I'm talking about simple systems, mm-hmm. you know, not, not bureaucratic, you know, very detailed work processes where everybody has to do everything the same. That's, that's uh, demoralizing to people. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is simplify your requirements, simplify the processes with the key most important things, and then leave a lot of freedom for your people to act because they're smart. They know what to do, you know, but if you, if you have no standardization, then you're all over the map, yeah. you know, so it's, it's the 80, 20, or maybe even 90, 90, 10 rule standardize on the critical things and then leave a lot of freedom out there for everybody to do their own thing. I love that. Um, we create what's called frameworks for decision-making. Um, I like to have as few of hard, fast rules, right. As possible. So yes, you need to have standardization and you need to have policies in place, but let's really question every time we want to put something in there, let's make sure that it's there to help not hinder. And then let's give people frameworks for decision-making so that they feel like, okay, I know, I know that I have latitude to make this and I'm going this decision. I'm going to be supported in making this decision. And if I make a mistake, then that's okay. We're going to fix it and we're going to learn from it and we're going to celebrate it because, well, let's face it, we all learn way more from our failures than we do our successes. And so we've really been developing this idea of a frame, a framework for decision making rather than than policies and 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 over standardization so that people do feel like I'm trusted. I'm trusted in my role here yep. and, yep. and I do know what to do. And, and my leadership is going to give me the latitude to make those decisions. And, and then you have autonomy and we all know how important autonomy is. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's it, you know, and people like to work for a winner, right? Yeah. They, oh yeah. They're proud of it. They, they tell other people about it. And, uh, you know, you, you can't recruit good people if you don't have the people pumped up inside. Uh, and working hard. So yep. it's it's pretty clear why your company is successful. Oh, thanks. The thing that, that generates the most pride for my team and organization is when we have customers come here and they say like, how do I get a job here? I've never seen people so proud of what they do. And when we give tours of our campus, um, oh. our employees share what they're doing. They share what they're working on and and how long they've been with the company. They're really proud to be able to share their story and, and what they do. And to me, that is just the best um, the best compliment that I could get on our culture. Just, I'm so proud of my team. It's just such a cool company. Um, and I'm so honored to get to work with the employees that I have. But that rubs off. That rubs off. People look at the leader and they, you know, they, they, they want to know how you feel about things. That's important. Yeah, well, we're all in this together. I tell people that my title is just a bunch of letters behind my name, that we're all just playing a role here in creating a really great company that solves hard problems for our customers. And so if we all take our roles responsibly with with deep responsibility uh, and accountability, then we're going to be successful. But I'm not somehow different than, than anybody else in my organization. I just have, we all just have a bunch of letters behind our names. And, um, and I think that's how we all try to show up with each other is that 
we yeah. know that we are all in this together and that everybody has to, we we, have, we rely on everybody to do their roles and do their roles well, do their roles safely so that we can all succeed. And I think that that shared that shared purpose and, and the focus on teamwork really makes a significant difference. Yeah, good for you. Thanks, thanks. All right, so let's well. get, <laughs> thanks. Well, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. That's for yeah. sure. Who hasn't? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, the best is yet to come. That's for sure. But all right, let's get, let's get back into talking about your book. So, so when somebody reads it, like, what do you want them to feel? Like what's the big takeaway from reading, reading your book? Well, I would like people to, to, to begin with very high expectations. So whatever they do, you want them, I want the reader to, to say, I want to be the best at what you do. And, um, you know, it's the world is so competitive right now, you know, and I, I tell a little bit of history in my book about, um, you know, back after world war two, uh, most of the world was really destroyed and the United States was the only place that, that really didn't have a lot of damage done. And so that was a period of, American expansion across the the globe and, and people needed product. So that was the driving force. If you could deliver the product, people wanted it. And then Japan and Germany, these countries caught up. And so during the eighties, uh, quality became a big differentiator. And, you know, uh, the United States auto industry and electronics kind of got left behind because the quality was inferior. So <clears throat> United States companies started working on quality. Well, that lasted for a while. And then, and then in the early nineties, after internet came along, uh, and tariffs dropped, cost became the driver, yep. you know, so you not only had to have the product, it had to be good. And then it had, that has to be low cost. And that's the way it's been ever since then. So, and then the competition just keeps getting better and better and better. So you have to set the expectation to be best in class at what you do. And, and also back during the seventies and eighties companies diversified and the, the theme was to do a whole lot of different things. That way, when you go through the economic cycles, uh, one thing may be out of favor, but another areas is, uh, making money. Well, then they found out today, you know, if you try to do a little bit of everything, you're going to get beat in the marketplace. So whatever it is you do, you have to strive to be best in class at it. And, and that's why I like a concept of, of divide and conquer. So within our company, we, t- we would break down the different types of activities and say, you know, everything we do, we want to be best in class at it. Well, how do you do it? You do it with people and, and certain processes and expectations and a culture. And so the principles apply in the book, apply for a company, but also for departments and for individuals doing work. So if somebody reads my book, I want them to have a, an expectation of, of top performance, uh, being numero uno in what they do. And, um, and then, you know, taking away the tips of simplicity and clarity and, uh, and doing things the right way every, every time. You know, I tell a lot of stories about sports in the books. Uh, John Wooden, uh, was a famous basketball coach. Um, most people probably don't remember him as long time ago, but he, he won 12 or so national championships. And every year he would bring his 
players in the first day. And he said, gentlemen, I'm going to teach you how to tie your shoes. Now he was recruiting the top talent from all the high schools. He was at UCLA and he would say, okay, you get your sock and you roll it up and it has to be perfect with no wrinkles and no creases. So because I can't afford for you to get a blister, you know, if you get hurt, then, you know, you can't play. So he would show them how to put their socks on and then pull your shoe on and how to tighten it. And, you know, it was attention to detail and that's how you become world-class at what you do. Everything has to be done. You got to strive for perfection. So I hope that that, that message gets across when people read the book. I love it. I, it absolutely does with me. I did for me. So, um, I think it's fantastic. I walked away with all kinds of, of takeaways and, uh, I bought a couple copies for some of my employees. So I think you nailed it. Great. Awesome. Thank you. Fantastic. All right. So now you're speaking, um, you're a keynote speaker at the safety council summit coming up here in December. So tell us a little bit about that and why people should attend, um, attend the summit. Well, I, uh, what I understand is that uh, the association has come up with, with some standardized training and certification for people doing uh, uh, industrial cleaning. Mm-hmm. And this, this summit is for owner, owner representatives to come and find out more about it. And, um, and hopefully, you know, most owners will require it. And if they do, then, then you have a uniform way of, of, of training and certifying workers and, and it should help the entire industry. So I'm going to just speak about some of the things we've talked about today and, and, uh, and how you can do every job safely. I mean, it, it's just should be an expectation. We should expect it. We should train our people and, and, uh, prepare them for success and, uh, be able to do the job the, the right way every time. So that's what that summit is about. And I hope with that we get good good attendance. I'm doing it for the for the industry, and and uh, hope hope that some good things come out of it. I hope so too. Uh, we just had the WJTA, so it's the WJTA training that you're talking about, and we just had our um, uh, annual conference and expo. Although it hasn't been annual for the past couple of years, but we're back together again after a three year hiatus. Uh, and, um, and, and I hosted a panel of both asset owners and contractors, and we had such a great conversation about really how we need more engagement from the facility owners on the training. You know, they're, they really drive all of this, right? Contractors weren't going to adopt uh, automated technology until plans started saying, you need to use this in our plans. And it's going to be the same with training, but Having a standardized system that is across, you know, the industry is going to improve the the level of safety, which will improve the quality of cleaning, and hopefully it will help us um, on our path to having um, having hydroblasters as a identified and certified trade, because I think that will really make a big difference um, in our industry. So. I, for one, really appreciate you coming and speaking to the group, um, and uh, I hope there's a lot of participation, too, because I do think it's it's very, very critical for facility owners to engage in this. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, it's important. You know, facility owners, you say they drive it, and they do, but they expect the, uh, the contractor organization to provide workers that are qualified and, and skilled and know what to do. So it's really a partnership. Yep. <clears throat> has to be mutual understanding and 
And, uh, you know, if this, if this training is efficient and it's well done, I think the facility owners will, uh, will appreciate it. Yep, I think so too. And I think you're spot on. It is absolutely a partnership. Uh, and 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 really a partnership across the board with with contractors with with now with a, a lot of the equipment manufacturers that are producing data or who are manufacturing data producing equipment that I think it provide really really interesting information and you know it's just getting started to where this is all going so um, I think really being engaged in this part of the industry is it's important for all of us uh, as we talked about at the beginning right this is a, a very important part of the supply chain that is overlooked. Um, because it's, you know, the underbelly of, of, of these industrial facilities, but man, it's, it's such a critical, a critical function that has to be performed. And I think, I think, I think where we're going as an industry is going to make a, a big difference, uh, in, yeah. in safety and efficiency. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the session and learning more about the training and, you know, what's, what's actually covered. So it should be very interesting. Great. Great. All right. So Sam, how can people find you? How can they find your book? Well, they can find me, uh, on LinkedIn and, uh, Facebook, but my book is available on Amazon. Uh, it's the daily pursuit of excellence. Uh, you know, I'm not out advertising it, uh, you know, so it's word of mouth. So I guess anybody who's listening, um, you know, if you, if you get the book and read it, you know, tell your friends about it and tell other associations because, it's there. Uh, there's a lot of books written every year. And so, you know, if you, if you don't get the word out, yeah. uh, then people don't know that it's available, but everybody I know that's read it, <laughs> gives tremendous feedback. I mean, it's like you said, in the beginning, it's, it's 50 years of experience. So, you know, I don't claim that, that my way is the right way, but it's definitely things that we learn through the years and things that work. And, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty proud of the book and hope that it, it continues to be well received. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I think it's excellent and I'm happy to uh, do my part in helping you promote it. So uh, thank you, thank you thank for you writing much. it <laughs> and best of luck. It's been so much fun interviewing you. Thank you for coming on the show today. Okay, Carrie. Good luck to you. Thank you. All right. Hang tight and I'll be right back. Okay, everyone, I am back. I hope you enjoyed that fun conversation with Sam. Be sure to check out his book. It's really fantastic. For now, I will leave you to your day. Please join me next month for the next episode of Industrial Theory. And if you like this podcast, please share it. The world needs to know about our industry. We have so many cool stories, so many cool things going on that we need to share these stories. And I always appreciate those shares. Like this podcast, write a review, subscribe to it. Um, always appreciate it. Always helps with the algorithms. Thanks so much. Have a safe week.